taken a, from an image of two Corinthians, following him, chapter 4, and, uh, verses uh, we're 1 conscious to 6. And you can that, find this on page uh, life 1160 can be, a can be a big hill to climb. in the Bibles beside and, uh, you. Sometimes the steeper the, the hill, the more we know that it's Jesus that we're following. Chapter 4, beginning and, at verse uh, 1. I'm conscious that some of us have had a real struggle this week. Um, for others, Therefore, uh, the since struggles through the God's mercy, we have this ministry. So I just want to invite you we to do not uh, turn to somebody heart. that you're sitting near, someone you Rather, didn't come with, sitting beside you or in front or behind you, and shameful and, and just um, we do share not something deception. of, well, what's the major struggle that's Nor been going do on we for you recently? the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. second reading is taken from Mark chapter 9, reading from verses 2 to 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked round, they no longer saw anyone with them, except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Can I encourage you, if you don't normally do so, to open your Bible? Um, if you've just shut it, it was on page 1012, chapter 9 of St. Mark's Gospel. 
page 1012, Mark chapter 9. Okay? Probably 12 or 13 years ago, whilst I was still curate here, just coming to the end of my curacy at St. Jude's, and uh, we were struggling to, uh, to know what the future was. We got some plans. We, well, we didn't know where in the world that might lead us. Uh, I was on holiday with my family and with some very good friends with whom we often went on holiday in. Uh, and always to Snowdonia. And uh, we were talking about the future and praying about it. And uh, we, as, as was usual for us, we, uh, we, tried the, we attempted the Snowden Challenge, which is to get all your children, um, you, and, and one of them as young as possible, um, up the miners' track, um, right up to the top of Snowden. Uh, James, that year, would have been five. Um, and as we were climbing the last pull up towards the Buchglas, uh, uh, the, um, the little pass below the Snowden Peak, the cloud came down and we could just see the finger post at the top of the pass looming mysteriously and ominously through the mist. We got James all the way up to the to the pass there, and just as we got to the finger post, the cloud blew away. And a most stunning view appeared behind that finger post. It was a spine-tingling moment as we looked across everything that we had walked up to, to reach there and all that we had yet to walk. It was like a moment of discipleship and vocation for me, looking back over all the path that Jesus had brought me up to this point and seeing how distant were the peaks that Jesus would lead me to, peaks that I did not yet know. It's something of this kind of moment that the disciples experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you're looking in your Bible, um, on the, in the left-hand column, halfway down uh, chapter 8, you'll see there's a, there's a, there's a transition point. So uh, at the beginning of the chapter, there have been a couple of great miracles, more exciting stuff with the crowds, feeding the 4,000. Just amazing to see what Jesus is doing and how people are responding to him. And then, verse 27, Jesus takes his staff off for a staff retreat to consider together the distance that they've come as a team and the rigors of the journey still ahead of them. They've come north of Galilee to a town called Caesarea Philippi, which is under the looming heights of Mount Hermon. You can just see there through the haze the snowy heights, which dominate all of northern Israel on one side, on this side, this is Israel here, and on the other side, the plain of Syria, stretching across to Syria, to Damascus in the distance. So you can see what a strategically crucial mountain this is, because from the peak of this, you dominate, you control all of northern Israel and all of 
um, southwestern Syria. Tremendously important um, place uh, or area in the history of Israel. And Jesus is there with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi under the mountain. And he's reflecting with them on public reaction to his ministry. Who do they say? Who do the crowds say that I am? And, and the, the, the disciples are feeding back to Jesus the different responses that they've heard as they've been sitting in the crowd. And then Jesus asked the disciples the crucial question, and who do you say that I am? You've seen my ministry so far. Who do you say that I am? And Peter comes up with the triumphant, the, the climax of his witness to Jesus, of his discipleship, and he manages to articulate those words and to say them with confidence. You, Jesus, are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the King of God, the Christ, the Anointed One. And bouncing off that, Jesus starts to reshape for them the meaning of the word Messiah, not a not a triumphant king conquering everything in his path, all human opposition, but a king who comes on a donkey suffering and loving in pain. And of course, Peter can't handle that. The idea that Jesus would face suffering and death and that his disciples would have to pick up their own cross to follow him, we see all of that at the end of chapter 8. And of course, Peter challenges Jesus and earns a stinging rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan, because your thoughts are not the thoughts of God, they're the thoughts of man. About six days later, beginning of chapter 9, Jesus taps Peter on the shoulder. And he says to him, Grab James and John. We're going for a walk. Now, the last time Mark, in his gospel, has had the three disciples, these three disciples, alone with Jesus, was towards the beginning, was, was in the, the beginning of the gospel, and was, um, was when Jesus responded to Jairus and went to see his daughter, whom everybody thought was dead. And with those three disciples, he went into the, the room, the bedroom where she was, and he welcomed her back to life. So how do we think these three disciples were thinking at this point? Were they excited for the possibility of another miracle that they were privileged to be witnesses of, part of? Were they flattered that Jesus had chosen them alone again to be with him? Were they anxious um, to quiz him about this scary new teaching that he was beginning to share with them. Well, following Jesus along a hillside path, they found they were getting higher and higher up the mountain. The view stretching out below them, the air getting colder, high up, utterly alone, totally silent, a real sense of the presence of God. Words of doom ringing in their ear and Jesus striding on ahead of them. They start to feel nervous, jittery, 
Something is about to happen. With hindsight, all sorts of things about this episode come clear for the disciples, resonate for them. If we just look at verse 2, the very first words, after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And six days is a very important length of time in the uh, subconscious of Israel, in the spiritual history of Israel, because it was six days that Moses waited on Mount Sinai with the clouds down above him, waited to be invited up into the cloud to meet with God and to receive the law which would become the bedrock of the relationship between Israel and God. Six days he waited. After six days, Jesus called them up a mountain. Moses too, going up his mountain, found himself all alone, high above the plain, with the cloud down over him, a place full of the presence of God. And Moses, like Elijah, each having their own mountaintop experience, both of them together sum up the law and the prophets. They together, they, they, they encapsulate, they express the disciples' whole heritage of seeking after God, of following the Messiah, whom they've now publicly committed themselves to. And both Moses and Ezekiel, uh, sorry, and Elijah were known as those who pointed forwards to the one who was to come. But when the moment actually came, it caught the disciples by surprise. So catching up with Jesus out of breath, uh, round the corner of the mountain path, suddenly they see him and suddenly he's not alone. There are two people with him and he is shining brilliantly, brilliant white. And those two companions somehow are recognizable, whether by, by sign, by something they're saying, recognizable as the two towering people, the colossus of Israel's experience of God. Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus preparing him. And these three disciples chosen by Jesus to be there to see it. What a privilege. How terrifying. If you had such a moment that you wanted to remember forever, how, how would you go about doing that? Jesus, Elijah, just Moses, just come in. Let's just take a Yeah, got it. Thanks. Well, it's something like that in his own technological day that Peter was trying to do. He 
the first thing that kind of came into his head, that blurted out, was, was some, some way of, of keeping those guys there, of keeping them talking. Jesus, it's great that we're here, your disciples. We could build three mountain bothies so that the three of you could be comfortable and warm and could carry on talking together. The word of God, the voice of God amplified by the cloud that's now settled over them is admittedly something of a rebuff to Peter. Half reproachful. Focus, guys. Concentrate. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But that voice is also responding, I think, to the commitment that Peter has shown. That statement, six days earlier, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And this voice is saying, yes, you're right. This is the one. This is the Messiah whom you have chosen to follow, whom you have committed your life to. It's also alerting Peter to the fact that the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, all of their spiritual heritage is all about preparing them for this moment, for this person. So it mustn't get in the way. They mustn't not listen to this man because they're so bound up with the past. They mustn't be so distracted, so committed to what's gone by before that that's a hindrance to them listening to the voice of God today, the Christ, the Son of God. And of course, it's also a warning to Peter, particularly to listen to this voice of God, to this word, to the Son of God, even when he's talking about dreadful things to contemplate. Even when he's leading down into darkness. This still is God's beloved son. Listen to him. And so suddenly the vision is gone, the cloud, the voice, the miraculous companions, all that is left is Jesus. Words from a song long ago. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place. And so hour by hour you will know his power. Till at last you have run the great race.
And so Jesus is leading them back down the hill again. Back down to the other disciples, back to ministry problems, back to the long path home to Galilee, to the longer journey to Jerusalem in which they too must take up their cross and follow Jesus. And as they start walking downhill, Jesus turns to his three disciples and says, this moment was for you. Hold on to it. Remember it. Don't share it with others. Don't talk about it to all and sundry. Not until the moment when you see me risen from the dead. And this moment will be eclipsed in a greater moment. Resurrection, risen from the dead. What does that mean? On the steep path down from the mountain, the three disciples are talking together, chewing it over. They find themselves in a stronger, deeper fellowship, intimacy than they've had before, bound together by this strange and wonderful and powerful experience, bound together by the confusion that it's left them, that Jesus' words leave them with bound together by their renewed commitment to follow this man, this son of God, down the mountain, wherever he leads, to crucifixion and resurrection, whatever that might mean. So here are some questions for you. From the experience of Peter and James and John, on this Mount of Transfiguration. If you've got a pen, you could write them down. If you've got a phone, you could take a picture once the, uh, the words are all up there. Or you could just hold them in your head and take them with you through into this Lent and work on them, think about them, chew over them. Five questions. Firstly, are you willing to spend time with Jesus when he calls you, even when you're tremendously busy? Are you willing to spend time with Jesus? Secondly, are you willing to accompany him up the mountain, even if it starts to feel a bit emotionally scary? Are you willing to accompany him up the mountain to put the effort in? Third question, will you trust him to reveal to you exactly what you need for the journey ahead, regardless of the other disciples? Are you willing to trust Jesus to reveal to you what you need for the journey ahead? Fourthly, will you focus on him, listen to him only, regardless of the competing voices of the past and of the present around you? Listen to him alone. And fifthly, 
Will you follow Jesus down from the mountain back into ordinary life, following where he leads in your everyday life? And will you follow him on into darkness, trusting that he will lead you through that to resurrection? because we too are disciples. We too share with Peter and James and John that same commission to listen to Jesus, to follow him, and to point others to him, the transfigured, crucified, risen Christ. We share what Paul calls the ministry of the new relationship, the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of the new relationship. Our face is shining, Paul says, like Moses, like Jesus. Shining with the light of Jesus, the light of our Lord, reflecting his glory. So we don't need to be downcast, Paul says. True, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's never been easy to be a Christian. There's never been a time when it's been easy to be a Christian. It isn't just in our world where people shout at us, scream at us how silly we are, how futile and foolish to believe in Christ, let alone to follow him. Those who walk around in a fog never glimpse the sky or the path beneath their feet and claim that the sky and the path are just wishful thinking. But we who have seen the glory of Christ can never be the same again. As Paul says, we speak not of ourselves, but of Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. And God, who said, let light shine out of darkness in the very beginning of the world, and who shone that light on his Son, Jesus, and spoke words audible to his disciples, saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. This same God has made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's this Christ to whom we will listen. It is this Christ whose cross we will pick up and whom we will follow through crucifixion to resurrection and glorious new life. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, this world is still dark with confusion and suffering and evil. As you brought light for the disciples, bring light out of this present darkness and hope from despair that guided by your Holy Spirit, all your children may see your son transfigured and be encouraged 
and find a new way forward together following him who followed you through deepest darkness into glorious new light. Amen.